0: I saw this video this past week, and I thought it really fits our context very well right here. Uh, Children, you guys are dismissed to go back to your classroom and uh, enjoy a wonderful time back there. Uh, One of the benefits of being in a new setting is we're able to do some different things with the kids' ministry. So we're excited. The kids will come into a beginning of worship with us and worship with us, and then they'll be dismissed uh, back to their uh, class when they're done, which will be a good process. Um, I saw this video this past week and I thought, man, this video sure fits our context very well right here. And it fits our message today actually pretty well as well. See, last week was a celebration. Last week was an exciting week that we celebrated the empty tomb on Easter. We celebrated the risen Savior. We celebrated the forgiveness of sin and the restoration that is offered through the sacrifice that Jesus made. And that was a great celebration. Um, but like the video said, didn't, Jesus didn't just come back. He came back and gave his marching orders. He came back and said, just as God has sent me into the world, I am sending you into the world. The mission of Jesus did not stop on Easter. And this is exciting for you and I because God has called us to be a part of that mission. God has called us to be a part of that mission. We're starting a sermon series this week called ignite this is a sermon series on the book of acts what i love about acts is we begin to realize in the book of acts that even though jesus has finished his part even though jesus has been on the earth and he's fulfilled his part of the mission even though he's conquered death and he's conquered hell and he's conquered the grave his mission continued through honestly a ragtag group of about 120 believers and we see that through this small group of believers, through what we become, through what we know is becomes known as the church, that the mission of God was ignited. The mission of God was ignited, the mission of making disciples of all the nations ignited like a wildfire. And we see through the book of Acts, we see the beginning of the church, how it grew and it grew and more people came to a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when we understand this, I think it's so huge for us to understand 2,000 years later. We're here 2,000 years later, and Jesus' mission is still active, and is still strong, and is still spreading. And Restoration Church, we're an example of that. We are an example of Jesus' mission continuing to spread. Because we are here because of that mission. We are starting this new church with the goal that we would know Christ, and that we would make Christ known in this community. We're here because God has called us to carry on that mission. And so, as I'm trying to figure out, God, how do I teach? And how do I how do I guide? How do, how do I help me to know, God, what to do as a pastor to help us stay effective and being on mission? And God kept drawing me back to the book of Acts. And so, we are going to be looking at the book of Acts and we see here these disciples who really had no clue what was going on. Jesus, their leader, had just died on the cross, was resurrected, and then rose up in a a cloud up into heaven. And they were obviously confused, thinking, man, what do we do now? What what are we supposed to do? And these believers, they had lived and walked with Jesus for two to three years. And so many times during that two to three years, they often seemed clueless to what Jesus was trying to teach them, what Jesus was trying to prepare them for. But yet, despite their deficiencies, despite this ragtag group of 120 believers, God used this group to ignite the church, to spread the gospel, and to help people come to know Jesus as their Savior. And that's what I want for us as a young, new church. I want us to learn from this first church plant in Acts. And I want to pray that we would be open, as the first church was, to allow the Holy Spirit room to move in our midst, And to use people like you and I to ignite, to ignite the mission. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today. We're going to look at the first uh, 11 verses. If you have a Bible, Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got an usher in the back who's got a couple of them. So if you need a Bible, put your hand up and he will gladly give one to you. Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. And it says this. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven, will come to you in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, this is an exciting week. This is an exciting day, uh, Lord, as we are here at Restoration Church. And uh, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word and we try and learn, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would hear what you have for us, that you would give us uh, a unified understanding of who you are and what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts to hear. And I ask this in your name. Amen. So before we get into uh, specifically Acts, I want to give you a brief overview of the book of Acts, just so we kind of understand a little bit about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is also commonly known as the Acts of the Apostles, and it is the fifth book of the New Testament. The author of this book was a physician by the name of Luke. Luke is the same man who wrote the gospel according to Luke, uh, the second book of the, the New Testament. And these two books that Luke wrote you say they're two separate books, but they weren't intended to be two separate books. They weren't intended to be two separate accounts of what happened. Rather, the book of Acts is, a, is the continuing story of the ministry of Jesus Christ as he ministers through his church. The parallel that Luke draws between these two books, is uh, Luke and Acts, is that the book of Luke describes the ministry of Jesus uh, that he exercised personally and publicly. And the book of Acts continues with the ministry of Jesus exercised through his Holy Spirit, working through the disciples. It is, we are still seeing God move. It is still the same story, even though we're in a different book. Both the book of Acts and Luke were written to a man named Theophilus. This man, Theophilus, his name means God lover. Most likely, he's thought to have been a government official of some sort. And Luke says in Uh, The book of Luke, he says his original purpose in writing these books was to assist Theophilus in some capacity in learning about Jesus and his disciples. And so with the understanding of Luke and Acts being so similarly related, you would say that the book of Acts is there for us so we can... uh, uh, so Theophilus could continue to learn about Jesus and his disciples. Yet as we read the book of Acts, as we see the inspiration through the book of Acts, we see that God has so much more for us to understand about the book of Acts than just a history lesson and just facts for Theophilus. There's so much more for us to learn about the establishment of the early church, uh, of the growth of the early church, as well as we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the disciples in the early church. So in this first passage the first section of scripture we're looking at today uh, it's easy to see that the the main point that he's trying to make is found in the mission that jesus gives in acts uh, in verse 8 you look at verse 8 i want you to see clearly that jesus is giving this mission to these disciples that they are to be witnesses in jerusalem and judea and samaria to the ends of the earth that is why the early church existed As they're getting together and trying to figure out what do we do now that Jesus is leaving? What are we supposed to do? He gave them their mission very clearly in verse 8. You are to be my witnesses throughout the world. That is why the early church exists. And that is why Restoration Church exists. Our way of expressing this mission is through our mission statement, which is to know Christ and to make Christ known. And I want us to understand how significant it is that we understand this statement. Why I keep saying this statement week after week after week. Because sometimes, sometimes we get confused about what the church is. We get confused about what church is about. We begin to make the church about me. And as we start looking at churches, we say, well, I like this church because it fits me. It makes me feel good. It has the ministries that relate to me. But you see, here, Jesus is making a statement to these disciples. He's saying the church is not about you. The church is not about you. The fact that so many of you have committed to launching Restoration Church shows that we have begun to understand that the church is not about us. The purpose for the church is to know Christ and to make Christ known first in our community and then stretching out to the region and then throughout the entire world. And I want us as a church to embrace this statement so badly because there are so many churches that have a great start, that start out strong and then become distracted and get off track of their purpose. They get confused and they stop making it about making Christ known. And I'm praying that as Restoration Church, I'm praying that we would have a strong foundation That we will keep the main things, the main things, so we don't become distracted from what God has called us to do. So with that understanding of the purpose uh, of the church, the purpose of the early church, the mission that Jesus gave the disciples in Acts, I want us to look at this text today, and I want want us to see three foundations that helped to ignite the early church. Three foundations that ignited the early church. Number one, looking at verse 3. Verse 3 says... He, being Jesus, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Why do you suppose this little verse would be significant? Why do you think it matters? Because this is the message. This is the story of salvation. The message that the early church was supposed to deliver was that Jesus, lived, Jesus Christ lived that perfect life. He suffered on the cross for our sins. He died, and three days later, he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. You see, here in verse 3, we see that Jesus gave the early church a great confidence in their message. Their confidence was vital to their success. Because if they weren't going to be convinced of that message of the resurrection then they would not have been able to fulfill the mission that God had given them, the mission that Jesus had told them. You see, this mission that Jesus gave them probably seemed like a little bit of an improbable task. It probably seemed like, you know, there's just no possible way that this could happen. You see, Jesus was commanding them to go into the world, the same world that had just rejected Jesus, the same world that had just sent Jesus to die on the cross. And Jesus is now sending them into that same world To convince them that this Jesus whom they crucified was actually the Son of God. And that the only way that they would have peace with God was through a relationship with this Jesus. Not necessarily an easy task to accomplish. And Jesus knew that these disciples, if they were going to be able to fulfill their mission, they had to have a deep conviction of their message. So it says that Jesus spent 40 days with them after his resurrection. For 40 days, Jesus gave them all the proof that they needed. Jesus gave them all the proof that they needed so that they could have a confidence in that message. In fact, over those 40 days that Jesus was on the earth, listen to the convincing proofs that he gave them. Jesus revealed himself to the woman at the tomb, and she worshiped him there. Jesus revealed himself to the disciples to Mary Magdalene. Jesus revealed himself to the Emmaus Road disciples. In fact, the Bible records that literally over 500 people laid eyes on the resurrected Jesus and could identify him. You see, Jesus' followers, disciples here, in order to accomplish the mission, they had to be thoroughly convinced of the message of the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, that through his death, his burial, and his resurrection that he conquered death, sin, hell, and the grave. And this message, 2,000 years later, this is still our message. This is still the message that the church is given to share with the lost world. That, That God has given us forgiveness, unconditional love, and restoration through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And if we fail to have this kind of conviction. If we fail to be fully convinced of this message that we won't be able to be effective with what God has called us to do to make Christ known. This message this message of the resurrection is so important that the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that if the resurrection were not true, if the resurrection was not true, then preaching Christ would be senseless. That those who put their faith in Christ, that would be useless. That all those who witness and who speak of the resurrection would be liars. That no one would be redeemed from sin. And he says that Christians would be the most pitiable people in the world. The resurrection is not true. This message of the resurrection is so important for us to understand. That is why we celebrated last week the empty tomb and the risen Savior. The forgiveness and love and restoration that is offered through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Restoration Church, how much confidence do we have in this message? How much confidence do we have that this is a life-changing message? I have a friend from high school. Actually, I played baseball with him in elementary school. And we bought a house across the street from his parents. My wife and I did. So one day I was outside... And he stopped by to see his parents, and he runs across the street. He says, Kevin, I've got to tell you something. And I'm like, okay, man. He says, man, I got this new dietary supplement, weight loss, life-changing pill. He says, I'm taking this pill. And he said, Kevin, this pill is changing my life. I don't even know what pill it was. Some weird something, something, you know. Vitamin or whatever, and he says, "Kevin, this vitamin is changing my life. Kevin, you've got to, you've, you've got to, you've got to listen to me about this." And I said, "Well, tell me." And he says, "Man, I took it. It's, it's caused me to have energy. It's caused me to lose weight. It's caused me to have a positive mood." And he says, "Check this out." And he shows me the back of his car. In the back of his car, he is taking out all the seats, and he has this pill all over, and these signs, and these things, and 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 he has been so convinced of what this. Pill has done that it became something that became a part of who he was. And he came across the street. I haven't seen this guy in 10 years. But it was so important to him that he wanted to share that message because he believed that that pill was a life-altering pill. Hmm. Restoration Church, if we're going to accomplish the mission, if we're going to see the mission of God ignited right here in the Yakima Valley, We've got to have a confidence that this message of the resurrection can and will change lives. Because that is our message, and we have to be fully convinced of it. But that's not the only foundation that we read. Look at me at verses 4 and 5. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them to depart from Jerusalem. Not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you had heard from me. For John baptized you with water, but now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. You see here, the second foundation for the early church was that the disciples, if they were going to ignite the early church, they had to be filled with the Spirit. They had to be filled with the Spirit. Again, this message, this mission, it seemed impossible This world had just rejected Jesus and killed him on the cross. And so now this group of disciples were expected to convince the people of their need of the Savior. Convince them of their need of a relationship with this Jesus whom they killed. Hmm. But you see, what we look as an impossible task is not an impossible task for God. Because God specializes in doing impossible things. And, And there's this principle in Scripture that we often overlook. And that is when when God calls us to do something, he enables us to do it. When God calls us to do something, he gives us everything we need to accomplish it. When God sent Moses to lead the people out of bondage in Egypt. Remember Moses, he tried to back out. He tried to say, you know what, God, I, I don't speak well. I can't go in front of Pharaoh. And he had all these, God, I can't do this. But when God calls you to something, he enables you to do it. And so God gave Moses words and God gave him power. God gave him power to turn a rod into a snake and then back into a rod again. God gave him power to fill the Nile River with blood. God gave him power to bring on the plague. The plagues. You see, when God calls us to do something, he enables us to do it. If these disciples were going to accomplish this mission, man, it wasn't going to be on their own power. Remember Peter? I love Peter because I resonate with Peter. Because Peter, right before Jesus is crucified, remember he cowered in front of the servant girl? She said, hey, you're a follower of Jesus. And he said, no, I'm not. He cowered. He was afraid. But see, when God called him to be a part of this early church, he enabled him through the Holy Spirit to do this. And we see a completely completely different Peter in just a very few short weeks. It was only through the power of the Holy Spirit working through them that they were able to accomplish their mission. So what about us? What about Restoration Church? You know, there's many ideas and thoughts as to what we need to do to be effective as a church. You uh, uh, search and you Google, and there are books and books and books that say the key to planning a church, the key to church growth, the, the, the key, this is what you have to do. I've shared with some of you how when we start, started talking about planning a church downtown, man, everybody has an idea about what a downtown church needs to be. We've shared, one guy said, you know, downtown church, you guys need to fix cars. Fix cars? Yeah, there's a lot of broken down cars, and that's what the church downtown needs to do. Okay? Others have said, well, you guys have heard this. People have all these different opinions about what the church needs to do and how we become effective. But let me say that Fulfilling our vision, fulfilling our mission isn't going to be accomplished on our own. Fulfilling the mission to make Christ known right here is not going to be accomplished on our own. We have got to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. We have got to be a group of people that are led by the Spirit. I once read a statement that said, if the Holy Spirit left the church today, if the Holy Spirit were to leave the earth, 90% 90% of the work in the church would continue on. Does that, does, that, does that raise a question in your mind? Man, I, I, we have some plans laid out for Restoration Church. We have some, some, some visions, some ideas that we're going to follow through. But you know what? One of the things I'm going to say is I want the Holy Spirit to lead this thing. I want God to say, you know what? Here's where you were going to go, but I've got something completely different for you. Because I want to be about what God has for us and not just what we think will work. And so when we say we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit, that means that we invite the Holy Spirit to lead us to do new things. That's why we will look at Cinco de Mayo. How many of you guys have been to the Cinco de Mayo celebration in downtown Yakima? Two, three, four, five, five of us. Most of us have not been there, but we are going to have a ministry at that that Cinco de Mayo celebration. And and we're gonna pray the Holy Spirit will use us in that capacity. And these are some of the things that we're looking and saying, God, do something new, do something with us. Allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. This is a principle that sometimes we miss. But I don't want us to, to, to look past it. Because if we're going to be, if we're gonna ignite that mission, we have got to be led by the Spirit. And lastly, Look at verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> it says, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come to you in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You see here, This became the disciples' motive. This became their motive for mission. Their motive for mission came from their anticipation of the future return of Christ. I can't imagine that these disciples who were standing there in front of Jesus and see Jesus taken up in a cloud. And the two angels appear before them and said, Why are you looking up? Because Christ is going to return in the same way you saw him go. Christ is going to return on a cloud in the same way. And I can't imagine these disciples ever doubted the words of these angels. After what they had just seen, I can't imagine they would ever doubt the words of the angels. They believed with absolute certainty that Jesus would come again. In fact, most of the disciples thought that Jesus would return while they were still on the earth, while they were still alive. They knew that the first coming was over, and they were anxiously awaiting for the second coming of Christ. Imagine the power of these believers as they looked toward heaven. And as they saw that, imagine how much easier their mission just became. And the purpose. Because as they looked to as they looked up towards heaven, it resonated with them. It resonated with them so deeply that they realized this world is not the end. This world is not the end. They, they realized, man, Jesus is coming again. This isn't the end. This, there's that old hymn that says, this world is not my home. This is something those early disciples knew deeply. It became their motive. They were waiting for Jesus who could return at any moment. And with that knowledge, with that that belief, that their time here was short, that Jesus was going to come back again soon, man, they were obedient to their mission. They got on task to say, if Jesus is coming back soon, I better get busy with this mission that God has given us. If we're here only for a short time, disciples said, we must get busy and make Christ known. Now I admit, sometimes I lose sight of this second coming. Sometimes I lose sight that Christ is returning. I get caught up in the cares of this world, caught up in building my own security and building my own mansion here on the world, here in this world. And that's why I point this out today. That's why I say it was a foundation for this early church. Because imagine Imagine if we, imagine if we believed the second coming as strongly as the early church did. Imagine if we believed that Christ's return was as imminent as that early church did. What a difference would that make in the way that we live our lives. Imagine the kind of difference it would make if we realized, man, Jesus could return at any moment. Math, Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, but concerning that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. See, these words are so clear and they ought to be challenging to us as Christians. To say God has given us a mission. God has given us a purpose. And if Christ's return could come at any moment, we better get busy. We got a lot of work to do. It's kind of likening it to our, our set-up team today. Our setup team today, I don't know, some of you weren't here this morning. We came in, and I think for the most part this room was cleared out, but in the back there was a wedding last night, and there was tables, and there was uh, spills on the floor, and there was uh, cups and, and, and mess all over the place. We intentionally said this is our first Sunday, so let's come an hour early to make sure we have time to deal with that. To make sure we've got time to fulfill the, 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 the mission that we had for this morning. But see, if we understood the second coming of Christ like this early church, we'd realize, you know, we can't just add an extra hour. It's not up for us to decide. If Christ could come back, man, we've got a lost world that's dying and going into hell unless we get out and be obedient to the mission that God has given us. Let's make Christ known in the Yakima Valley. And let's do it today because who knows, who knows when he's coming back. And uh, I once heard that a guy said, you know, the best seven words of a message the pastor says are let's bring this to a close. So let's bring this to a close this morning and let's learn from this early church. Let's learn from their foundation that allowed them to ignite the early church and to ignite that mission. You see, in the early stages of Restoration Church, I want us to have a solid foundation. I want our foundation to be solid so that we don't become distracted from what we've been called to do. So we don't become distracted and we make church about us and instead of about reaching people for Christ. So let's commit to the foundation of restoration that we become thoroughly convinced of the message. Of the message of the Of the resurrection that true peace and acceptance before God is not found through self-help. It's not found through good feelings about yourself. It's not found through any other ministry than the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let us be so thoroughly convinced of that message that when people come in, we can clearly say, you know what, if you want a different life, it is through Jesus Christ and a saving relationship with Him. Let us be so convinced of that message that it's one of our foundations. Let us build our foundation on being filled and led by the Holy Spirit. And not being filled and led by the next big thing, or the next greatest idea. There's a lot of great ideas. There's a lot of big things. There's a lot of hoopla. But man, let's let the Spirit lead us. Let's invite God to be a part of the church. Let's not be the church that if the Spirit were to leave, you couldn't tell. Let's be, be people led by the Spirit. And lastly, let's be, be, be people who our motive is based of Christ's imminent return. Let's be people who say, since Christ could come back at any time, we have people we need to reach for Christ. We have people that we need to make Christ known to, because otherwise, when Christ returns, it won't be a glorious day for them. Amen. Let's pray.